Well, let me ask you something. Would you like, if you had the option, would you like to have the power to read somebody else's mind? Would that be cool? Would you like to have that? Probably not, right? Would you like to have somebody else have the ability to read your mind? Even a bigger no, right? Um, that's a scary thing to have people be able to read your mind. And until recently, mind reading was something that was, you know, for science fiction books and movies only. There was no possibility that something like that could happen in real life. But uh, through technology such as the electroencephalogram, which we know as the EEG, uh, doctors are thinking that they might be able to figure out ways to read minds because our minds never shut off. They're constantly thinking thoughts, right? And we're, we're constantly uh, bouncing from one thing to another in our minds. And, and so uh, these thoughts that we think uh, potentially could be expressed in the form of electrical impulses in the brain, which then could be captured on an EEG uh, and then perhaps translated into written language. And wouldn't that be something? Uh, but this technology uh, could be used for somebody who uh, is completely paralyzed in the face, let's say, and has no ability to speak. Uh, they could transmit their thoughts through a technology like this. Or for people with severe speech impediments that, that can't speak because there's something wrong uh, in their mouths and they, they can't speak well. So uh, this has practical applications, but of course, What's required is the willingness of the subject to submit to this, right? To have their minds read. Uh, now, we are years away from this kind of technology being reality. But before we dismiss it completely, let's remember that not very long ago, voice recognition software was a thing of science fiction, right? And now you can't even speak around your iPhone without it showing you ads on Facebook for the, late, for the Airbnb or the shoes or the dress that you were thinking about buying. Pops right up on your Facebook feed. Uh, so uh, this might not be as far-fetched as we think. And for us, for me, it would be terrifying for people uh, to be able to read my thoughts and for me uh, to read theirs. Uh, but that's what's going on uh, in this Daniel chapter 2. We're continuing our study today in the book of Daniel, uh, where we're talking about the faithfulness of a great man and the sovereignty of a great God. Uh, in Daniel chapter 2, uh, the king Nebuchadnezzar has this recurring dream, and he wanted it interpreted. But the rub is that he's not going to tell his wise men, his conjurers, his magicians, uh, the substance of the dream. He wants them to tell him the substance of the dream. He thought, if these guys are legit, they can tell me my dream, and they can tell me the interpretation. And so... <clears throat> The mag magicians and the conjurers, uh, they needed some kind of advanced EEG uh, to help them because they're really in a bind now. And even if they had one, though, uh, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to submit to such a thing. Uh, what they really needed uh, was a sovereign God who knows all things, who even can read our dreams, who even gives the dream uh, to be read. Uh, and fortunately uh, for Daniel and for Nebuchadnezzar, that's the kind of God that Daniel had. The big idea for today's sermon is that when we are in a desperate and hopeless situation, when our backs are to the wall and when there is no way out of a predicament that we are in, humanly speaking, we have a God who is bigger than whatever that predicament is. And he can help and he wants to help. And so it's in times of our greatest need that God shows his unlimited power. That's when God shows up. 
And so uh, one of the, what we'll see uh, in the message is that we have to acknowledge our great need and then pray to our great God. And Daniel will model for us how we do that in the passage today. So first we'll see in verses 1 through 3 that Nebuchadnezzar summoned his wise men. Now in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to understand the dream. Now, most people might say that, that their most common bad dream is falling. That's a bad one, right? When you're falling through the air in your dream and you can't stop. Or if you're being chased and it feels like you're, you're running through the mud, right? You can't get away. Your legs won't move. Or you show up to school or to work naked. You have no clothes on. You don't know why. Uh, and you're trying to figure out where are my clothes and then how do I get them? Uh, these are common dreams that people have. They're, they're, they're real bad nightmares. Um, Nebuchadnezzar had a different kind of dream altogether, right? Uh, he has uh, this recurring dream. That's why some of your versions might say he dreamed dreams, to, to give it the, the sense that these are ongoing dreams, uh, dreams that, that he had uh, more than one time, and he couldn't understand them. So he's perplexed, he's frustrated, he's tired, he's grumpy, and, and then he summons in his advisors. Uh, and after all his advisors are assembled, then he tells them, well, uh, this is what I want you guys for. Uh, I'm sure before they went in, they were probably very anxious because uh, it's, it's a, a very difficult and stressful thing to, to be called by the king for your wisdom. Uh, and you better be able to deliver because if you couldn't deliver, uh, that might mean death for you. Uh, so they were probably anxious beforehand. But I think that, that when uh, the king told them that he had a dream uh, and he wanted them to interpret the dream for, for, for him, I think they probably breathed a little bit of a sigh of relief, actually, because interpreting dreams was kind of the business of these magicians and their con conjurers, and, and they would probably at least be able to give some kind of reasonable answer that Nebuchadnezzar might buy. Uh, and the reason I say this is because archaeologists have discovered uh, in the sands over there uh, the, these dream manuals uh, that these magicians and these conjurers used to use. And so the, these manuals would catalog various dreams. They would talk to, to people. They would listen to their dreams. They'd hear what was in the dream. They'd look at the symbolism in the dream. And then they'd uh, come back and follow up with the people who had dreams later on to see if they could make correlation between the dream and something that might have happened later. And so they were experienced in, in interpreting dreams. And these dream manuals uh, were for people to use uh, later on. Uh, and they could continue to amass this dream catalog and so uh, if you went to one of these wise men and conjurers and said to them, uh, I keep showing up to work naked in my dreams, what's going on? Well, they would look up in the dream manual and say, well, this could be what it means. Here are three potential interpretations. So uh, they were experienced at in using these dream manuals. And in fact, uh, probably Daniel was trained in using these dream manuals as part of being immersed in the culture <clears throat> of the Chaldeans. So I'm sure that uh, Nebuchadnezzar's advisors thought that they could handle any dream that uh, Nebuchadnezzar might throw out at them. Uh, but this time, Nebuchadnezzar added a twist. And the twist was, I'm not going to tell you my dream. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar demands that they tell the dream and the interpretation. We'll read all the way through verse 11. 
Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell the dream to your servants, and we will uh, give you the interpretation. The king replied to the Chaldeans, The command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb, and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. But if you declare to me the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and a reward and great honor. Therefore, declare to me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation. The king replied, I know for certain that you are bargaining for time, inasmuch as you have seen that the command for me is firm, that if you do not make the dream known to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed together to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream that I get and may know that you can declare to me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could declare the matter for the king, inasmuch as no great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician, conjurer, or, conjurer or Chaldean. Moreover, the thing which the king demands is difficult, and there is no one on earth who could declare it to the king except God's, whose dwelling place is not, or is not with mortal flesh. So, these magicians were in a real pickle, weren't they? And they knew it. They felt the walls closing in on them uh, from all sides. Uh, as I said last week, Daniel is written in two languages. It's written in Hebrew and it's written in Aramaic. And so in the middle of verse 4 here, we can see the change. Uh, it says that uh, he spoke to them in uh, Aramaic. And so that's where he switched. And Aramaic was the common language of the people. It was the language that the Gentiles used. And I think the spiritual significance of this is that uh, Babylon had now conquered Judah. All right? Judah is in Babylon, in exile there. And it's now the beginning of the times of the Gentiles. This is the time uh, when the, the lands promised to Abraham are in Gentile hands, and there is no Davidic king on the throne of Israel. Uh, so this is the times of the Gentiles, which began then. We're still in the times of the Gentiles. We will continue to be in the times of the Gentiles until Jesus returns. So God was talking to and talking about the Gentiles here, and so he uses Aramaic, the common language of, of the people. And we don't specifically know why Nebuchadnezzar demanded that they give him, give them the interpretation uh, or the dream as well as the interpretation. Some people, some commentators think he forgot the dream, although I think that's probably highly unlikely. Uh, he, I think he was probably testing them, not, not testing them to, for them to, to jog his memory, uh, but for them to actually give him the substance of the dream. Uh, so maybe these conjurers, these magicians had given some bad advice in the past. Or maybe uh, Nebuchadnezzar had inherited these wise men from his father, Nabopolassar, uh, when he died, and, and they hadn't yet proven himself, themselves to him. Or uh, maybe Nebuchadnezzar just didn't buy that, that they were able to deliver what they promised. Uh, and so when they protested, he accused them of trying to buy more time of trying to speak corrupt things and lies. And so it's clear that there's some kind of trust issue, right, between Nebuchadnezzar and these wise men. At best, there's a trust issue. And they were not going to change his mind. If they did not tell him the dream and the interpretation, he was going to have them torn limb from limb, and their houses would all be reduced to rubbish heaps. Now, uh, for their part, these wise men thought that this was a completely unreasonable demand in verse 11 because there is no one else who could declare it to the king except for the gods whose dwelling place is not with mortal flesh. 
Now, of anything that these magicians had ever said in their entire lives, this was probably the most true thing they had ever said. No one could declare this dream uh, except for uh, some supernatural uh, person. And so uh, the only thing they got wrong was that they confused their gods with the one true God. But they were right. Nobody could interpret that dream uh, because they couldn't know what it was unless... Uh, Nebuchadnezzar gave it to them. But their statement that no one could know this dream actually foreshadows what Daniel said in verse 28 when he says, there is a God in heaven who could reveal that dream. But for these wise men, if if Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't reveal the content of the dream to them, uh, then no magician, no conjurer, no wise man, not even uh, the most advanced EEG machine could ever uh, interpret and give this dream. And when they admitted to the king that they couldn't tell him his dream, well, the king erupted in fury. Let's look at verses 12 to 16. Because of this, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain, and they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion, and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. So let's just take a minute to recognize that Daniel is in the middle of a spiritual battle here. That's what's going on, right? We, we, could, we could look at this entire episode as the unreasonable demands of an irrational king. And humanly speaking, perhaps that what, that's what it was. But Satan is behind all this, right? And, and he knew that Daniel and his four friends were, were speaking truth in the, in, the, in the Babylonian kingdom and they were witnessing, being witnesses for God in that kingdom. And so Satan would have been happy, gladly, would have sacrificed every single magician and conqueror and pagan sorcerer in that Babylonian empire if he could have killed Daniel and his three friends with uh, Daniel. And so uh, that's what a spiritual battle is all about. And it's a lesson for us to remember uh, our struggle, our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against the, 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 the principalities and the powers of the spiritual world, which in other words means Satan and his demons. And so uh, spiritual battles require spiritual power. And that's what Daniel had. That's what we'll see from Daniel uh, and his friends. Now, Arioch was the captain of the guard, and so he was assigned to carry out the systematic execution of every wise man and conjurer in the kingdom. And Daniel and his friends were included among this bunch, even though they weren't invited to the king's uh, uh, little, little uh, party there where he, he demanded that people uh, give him uh, the dream itself. So, uh, what can we say about that? Uh, somehow, the, Daniel's not invited into uh, I- I among the, the, the wise men who first appeared before the king, but somehow he gets an audience with uh, Nebuchadnezzar here. Uh, and I think that it's because in the, in the short time that they had been in Babylon, they had earned the respect of, of people above them, right? Daniel came to them with, with discernment and wisdom, it says, and discretion. And so Daniel knew how to talk to people. Uh, and I think that's because certainly God was with him. Uh, so even though the king was angry enough to, to order the execution of every wise man and conjurer in his kingdom, uh, he granted Daniel a stay of execution. 
And of course, that, that can only be because God was with him. Uh, Daniel must have promised Arioch uh, that he would be able to give the, the king the dream and the interpretation. And so Daniel's character and his integrity was such a witness uh, that Arioch was impressed and even Nebuchadnezzar was impressed and he delayed the executions uh, for a day. And most commentators uh, that I read think that, that none of the wise men and conjurers were killed until this day passed. Uh, so Daniel had great sway and influence with the king. All right. Now comes the part of the message where I really want us uh, to think about how this applies to us because uh, it's how we respond, how you and I respond when we are in an impossible situation. Uh, this is what I want us to learn from Daniel this week. Daniel had a God in heaven who hears prayers and answers prayers. And so do we, brothers and sisters, so do we. Let us not forget that, that we have a God in heaven who answers prayers. So what did Daniel do that we can model? Well, we're going to see four things. We need to acknowledge our great need. We need to pray to God for help and wisdom. We need to thank God when he answers prayers. And we need to proclaim his truth uh, wherever we go. And so uh, acknowledge, pray, thank, and proclaim. That's what I want you to take uh, from this part of the message. And we'll see this pattern uh, in how Daniel and his friends handled this, humanly speaking, impossible predicament. Uh, let's look at how Daniel acknowledged his need and prayed to God for help in verses 17 to 19. <clears throat> then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, so they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So, in verses 17 and 18, we see the first two things that I said, uh, acknowledge and pray. <clears throat> so Daniel acknowledged his need. He went and saw his friends, right? He talked to uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah and told them the situation, told them the predicament that they were in. Uh, and you can imagine their response. They're like, wait, they're going to kill us? Uh, we didn't even do anything wrong yet. We, that's crazy that, that, that the king would kill us. Uh, yet, uh, this was the truth. And, and panic, of course, would have been a reasonable response. But Daniel appears to be the picture of calm throughout this entire episode. Daniel and his friends were in an impossible situation. They had no human way out of this situation. And that's when God shows up, right? The only thing Daniel possibly had on his side was, was the chance at divine intervention. Uh, but divine intervention is a pretty good ace to have up your sleeve, right? And, and Daniel had that. Uh, and so I'm sure the four young men uh, looked at each other and said something like, it's impossible for us, but it's not impossible for God. So we acknowledge our need and we pray. And so when we find ourselves in an impossible situation, humanly speaking, we first acknowledge our great need to God. And then the next thing Daniel does is he prays. He asks God for help. They acknowledge their great need, and then they ask their great God to supply what they lacked. So God's resources are endless and limitless, obviously, right? There's nothing that he cannot provide if he chooses to provide that thing for us. And so we will learn that God gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream and uh, Daniel the answer in a vision to this mystery 
the word mystery that we see in verse 19, uh, usually in the Bible, that means something that God has concealed uh, and now has revealed. And so uh, I'm sure that what happened was that God gave Daniel Nebuchadnezzar's dream, like it, almost like an instant replay in, in his own head, in a night vision, uh, so that Daniel could give Nebuchadnezzar the substance of the dream. And he wouldn't take credit for it, but rather he would give credit to our great God in heaven. And by God's grace, he saved the life of Daniel and his friends, as we will see. Now, for you and I, it's true that God doesn't always answer our prayers exactly like we've prayed them, like in the timing that we would necessarily like. But we have to remember that God doesn't owe us anything, right? And in, and in verse 18, uh, Daniel appealed to God's compassion. Uh, your version may say uh, God's mercy. Uh, when we pray to God, it's not because God owes us that he delivers us uh, from, from whatever it is that we need. It's because of his compassion, because of his mercy that he answers prayer. And we'll see here in Daniel chapter 2. We'll see it again with, Daniel and his, uh, with, with Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace in chapter 3. Uh, in Daniel chapter 4, uh, with, uh, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 6 with Daniel in the lion's den. We'll see over and over again that God answers prayers in his way and in his timing. And, and God is allowing these trials that we see throughout the book of Daniel. But God is also sovereign over the outcome of these trials. So he allows the trials and yet he controls the outcome. And Daniel and his friends acknowledged their desperate need. They prayed. The substance of the prayer isn't recorded, but it's clear that God answered the prayer because Daniel uh, received that dream in a night vision. And so the next thing that Daniel did, he acknowledged his need, he prayed, and here he thanks and praises God. So acknowledge, pray, thank, and praise and proclaim. So verses 20 to 23. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Now remember here that time is of the essence, right? They're under a death sentence. Nebuchadnezzar could give the decree at any moment. I've had enough. Let's just start killing them all, right? Uh, and it would have been understandable for, for Daniel when he received this dream to just run right out the door to Arioch and say, I have the dream. I know its interpretation. But Daniel doesn't do that, right? He stops. He takes time here to thank God, uh, praising God for his sovereignty and his goodness throughout this prayer that he prays. <clears throat> and Daniel listed several of God's attributes here, wisdom and power, uh, two of God's great attributes, uh, that he uh, allowed uh, Nebuchadnezzar to have this dream in the first place and then uh, to allow this impossible situation so he could reveal the dream to Daniel so that even a pagan king would give glory to God. And so the God of Israel shows himself to be far superior to anything the pagans had to offer in terms of who they worshipped. God changes the times and the epics and uh, sets up kings and deposes them, speaks to the sovereignty of God. Uh, he decides who rules and when and for how long. And he can change the most powerful rulers, as we'll see, even in the book of Daniel. 
And Nebuchadnezzar will learn all about God's power and his wisdom and his sovereignty here in Daniel 2, again in chapter 3, again in chapter 4. And Nebuchadnezzar encounters the power of the living God. God can reveal things hidden in the darkness, like Nebuchadnezzar's dream that he kept hidden, but yet God could reveal it, and God did reveal it. And so God revealed this dream to Daniel. What a gift uh, for him. What a relief for his friends. And so for all these things, uh, Daniel gave God praise and honor and glory. Now for you and I, we ask God for things all the time, don't we? We We're constantly in prayer asking God for this or that thing that we need. And uh, speaking for myself, I don't want to speak for all of you, but I'll speak for myself. Sometimes I forget to thank God for whatever that thing is that he provided. Uh, You know, Jesus healed 10 lepers and only one came back to thank him, you know? Uh, And we can be like that too. We we get a need satisfied and then already we're on to the next thing. Now here's what I need next, God, you know? And we we can forget uh, to thank God. Uh, Everything we have is from God and yet sometimes we take these things for granted. Uh, Things like food and water and shelter and clothing, uh, jobs, income, good health, even air conditioning, right? All of these things are gifts from God. Uh, and, and what happens if we lose them? Like if our air conditioning goes out in Texas in July, right? We whine and we cry and it's so hot and we're miserable, right? All of these things are gifts from God that he gives to us. And what if we ran out of clean water? Well, that would be life-threatening, wouldn't it? Uh, so uh, we shouldn't take anything that God gives us for granted. And when he answers prayer, uh, we just need to, to take the time uh, to thank him for that. So we remember, we acknowledge our need. We pray to God. Uh, We thank God for his goodness and mercy. And the next thing we see Daniel do is proclaim God's truth to this pagan king. We'll read from 24 to 30. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence and I will declare to you the interpretation to the king. Then Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. Then, Daniel, then the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However... There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while you were on your bed. As for you, O king, while you were on your bed, your thoughts turned to what would take place in the future. And he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, This mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. Well, the first thing we see is Arioch trying to grab some credit for himself, right? I have found a man. Uh, Actually, Daniel found him, right? It wasn't I found a man. Uh, But this is a human thing. You know, this is not something we can't relate with. Uh, But Daniel wasn't about to to waste time quibbling over who found who. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar asked Daniel uh, if he could make the dream and the interpretation known to him. 
And Daniel's answer starts on a disappointing note, right? He says, no one, no wise men, no, no conjurer, magician or diviner can, can interpret this for you. So you could imagine Nebuchadnezzar thinking, well, why am I wasting my time with you then? Uh, but then Daniel quickly got to the point uh, and he could have taken all the credit, right? He could have said, uh, because I am this great man, God revealed this dream to me, but he doesn't do that. Uh, he just praised God uh, before this violent king. Now, we're going to talk about the, the, the dream itself and the interpretation next week, uh, but I just want to talk about what Daniel says about the dream this week. And here's the first thing he says about it. Uh, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Now, in the ancient world, um, people fought against each other uh, under the banner, under the protection of their God, right? So when one people defeated another people, it was that people's God defeating the other people's God. Their God was victorious. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar's magicians and conjurers who were supposed to be in touch with the spirit world, they admitted that they could not give the king the dream and the interpretation. But Daniel's God could. Daniel's God could and did reveal the dream and the interpretation. And therefore, Daniel's God is greater than the gods of Babylon. So there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. A second, uh, Daniel says the dream concerns what would happen in the future or in the latter days. Uh, and so this was the very thing that Nebuchadnezzar was concerned about as he lay in his bed. And you can imagine now, as, as, as he hears this from Daniel, he perks up, right? He thinks, well, th this kid, maybe he's got something, right? Uh, and so he talks about the future. Uh, what, what would happen to Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom? These were the things that he was concerned about. And as we'll see next time, Daniel can, can give the king something that none of his wise men and conjurers could. Uh, he could tell him what the dream was and what it meant, and it, it concerned the future. And as we'll see, it extended from the time of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom all the way until the second coming of Jesus. So the dream concerns what's going to happen in the future. A third, it's God who gives Nebuchadnezzar this dream in the first place. It wasn't random. God graciously showed this pagan king who's laying in his bed, worried about the future. God gives him a dream so he might know. Now, even though he couldn't understand it, God also provided somebody who could know the dream and interpret the dream so that Nebuchadnezzar might know what is happening. And then fourth, Daniel gave all the glory and honor to God for his wisdom and power before this pagan king. Daniel said there was nothing in him that caused God to reveal the dream to him, but because God is so gracious, even to this pagan king, uh, he revealed the dream and the interpretation to Daniel. <clears throat> so here are, here's Daniel and his three fr friends, backs up against the wall, walls closing in under a death sentence, uh, it's coming tomorrow, right? He's going to be killed tomorrow. And his need is great. Uh, and he prays to God, acknowledges his need, prays to God. So what do we do when our backs are against the wall, when the walls are closing, closing in and we feel like we're under a death sentence? Uh, well, we do the same thing Daniel did. Let's just review the model again just by way of application. Uh, Daniel acknowledged his great need. So we just need to acknowledge our great need to God. You know, it doesn't do any good to complain to each other uh, about what our needs are. We have a God in heaven who answers prayer, so we acknowledge our need to him. And second, uh, we pray for God's intervention. Uh, Daniel did that. He, he knew that God was in heaven. He knew that God could answer this prayer, and so he prayed. He asked. And then Daniel thanked God for his remarkable, impossible provision. 
All right, so acknowledge, pray, thank, and then proclaim. Uh, Daniel gave God glory and he proclaimed the truth of God's word to the most powerful man in the entire world, a pagan king who, humanly speaking, uh, had all the power. He had the power over life and death as far as Daniel was concerned. So when we're intimidated uh, by the world and when we're afraid to speak boldly about what God has done in our lives uh, or we're afraid to proclaim his name uh, from the rooftops, remember Daniel. Uh, we will never face anybody as intimidating as Nebuchadnezzar was to Daniel. Uh, but Daniel had so much faith, so much confidence in God that he had no problem standing there and saying, this is what the God of heaven says. Even though you don't believe in him, here's the truth. And this is what Daniel did. So regardless of the outcome, uh, Daniel uh, just told Nebuchadnezzar the truth boldly. So acknowledge, pray, thank, proclaim. It's a simple acronym, A-T-P-T. I just got it wrong. I said it's simple and I get it wrong. A-P-T-P, A-P-T-P. Acknowledge, pray, thank, proclaim, if you can remember that. Acknowledge, pray, thank, proclaim. So you may be saying to yourself now, well, well, that was easy for Daniel. Uh, God just told him the dream, right? How hard is that? Uh, he doesn't speak to me like that. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe he doesn't speak to us like that. And probably God doesn't normally speak to you and I that way. But he does speak to us in ways that he never spoke to Daniel, right? To us, God has revealed himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, who lived a perfect sinless life and then died on the cross for our sins so that we could have eternal life. And it was Jesus uh, who lived this life and, and who taught the disciples so many things that have now been passed down to us. It was Jesus who commanded us to not be afraid. It was Jesus who commanded us to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. And he'll be with us even to the end of the age. And so Daniel never had any of that, right? He had God's direct revelation, but he didn't have Jesus. And, and so we should have the same, if not more confidence than Daniel did, because we know more than Daniel knew. Uh, and God has revealed the greatest mystery of all to us uh, in Jesus Christ, his son. So our desperation is both physical sometimes and spiritual, right? Before uh, we had Jesus Christ in our lives, we were hopeless. We were lost. We were without God in the world. But now after Jesus, uh, we have access to this God. We have, we have access uh, to the Father, and, and we stand in this, this position of grace uh, where God wants to love us and answer our prayers. And he's done this through the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, let's go from here today with, with humble confidence uh, in our great God, acknowledging our need. Uh, we're completely dependent on God for everything. And, and let's pray that he would fulfill all of the needs that we have. Remember, James says, sometimes you don't have because you don't ask. So don't forget to ask when you're in a time of need. And let's remember to thank him for his glorious provision. Uh, James again says, all good and perfect things come from your Father above. And then finally, let's proclaim to the world the wonders of our great God. To him be the glory. Amen? Amen. Lord God, we thank you for this uh, amazing passage. Lord, uh, Daniel gives us a model for how we are supposed to handle ourselves when we get in difficult situations. Lord, we are completely dependent on you. And so we acknowledge our need. We pray, we thank, and we proclaim, Lord. And I pray that that would be something that the Holy Spirit would drill into our hearts and minds today. 
uh, that we have a God in heaven who answers prayers. And if we'll follow Daniel's model, uh, Lord, we will be faithful to you. Uh, and we trust that you will do what is uh, best in your sovereign plan. Lord, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins and rose from the dead, so that we might have eternal life, Lord, and we give him all praise and glory today. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.